This is the Living Bertazano podcast brought to you by The Church at Riverstone, a fellowship of the Church of the Nazarene in Madera, California. Our episode today examines Jesus's parable of the unmerciful servant found in Matthew chapter 18 verses 21 to 35. Together, we will be discussing the importance of forgiveness in the life of a follower of Christ. Hi, everybody. I'm Nick. I'm Natasha. I'm Brittany. I'm Derek. And we are the Living Vertizontal Podcast, back with you this week with uh, our continued journey through Matthew. Uh, as a quick reminder, last week uh, we addressed um, the 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 passage on dealing with sin in the church in Matthew uh, chapter 18, 15 through 20. And ultimately, we discuss the importance of spirit-led accountability, forgiveness, and reconciliation within the church. And this week, um, we're going to continue on in Matthew chapter 18, uh, looking at verses 21 through 35. And this passage is going to turn to yet another one of Jesus's parables. Uh, and specifically, this parable is uh, the one about the unmerciful servant and ultimately Jesus's expectations of forgiveness in our lives. And so I believe uh, today we have Brittany reading for us. So Brittany, would you read? Absolutely. Matthew 18, 21. Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date and with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold, along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, Please be patient with me, and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him, and he released him and forgave his debt. But the man left the king. He went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me, and I will pay it, he pleaded. But this his creditor couldn't wait, wouldn't wait. He said the man arrest, he had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. The king called in the man he had forgiven and said, "You evil servant, I gave you that tremendous debt. I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I have mercy on you?" Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. All right. So pretty heavy conversation, it would seem, that we're getting ready to break into. Um, so here's the passage. What are you, your guys' thoughts? What are we seeing? What are we thinking? Well, Peter knowing the context of the rabbis in this time where they were concerned with how many times you could be forgiven for a sin or for sin. And, and their thinking was three times. So Peter must have thought like, oh, well, three, if three's like good, we're going to increase it because, you know, Jesus 
living within them at this time. He's thinking seven's way better than three. And Jesus is extreme, so I'll step it up. Yeah. I'll, I'm going to go I'm, two plus one, <laughs> two times plus one. So, yeah, he, uh, he thinks that seven is, you know, a significant number. And Jesus comes in in the way that Jesus does and tries to shift the focus from necessarily like a quantity to more of a, a lifestyle. And so not that it's about how many times, 70 times 7 or 77 times, however, you know, it, the number's not really important. It's the heart of being willing to forgive again and again and again. When I, uh, when I think about this specific conversation and uh, the statement that we have had for, I don't know, like five podcasts and running, poor Peter. Like we keep saying stuff like that. Oh, we've been really hard on him. I think I read this and kind of what we were joking about already. I read, you know, Peter is thinking, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm understanding. I'm, I'm beginning to understand now, right? Like we've talked about this process of understanding that seems to be unraveling or yeah, unfolding before us. And so like they're, they're beginning to grasp what Jesus is talking about, beginning to understand. And so Peter is coming in maybe with this mindset of, oh, I'm beginning to understand. And so let's talk about forgiveness and let me demonstrate my understanding that I have of what you're like, Jesus. And Jesus again comes in and kind of just blows up that idea. And it made me think about how like even us today, we read this and we like we immediately recognize like Jesus isn't talking about a quantity. Like he is not putting a limit on forgiveness. He's not saying only forgive 77 times. He's not saying only forgive 77 times, seven times, like some huge number. He's not saying there's a limit. He's saying forgiveness is unlimited. Like you should just continue to live a life of forgiveness and so we know that instinctively in our minds. And yet I think we even still probably more often than we would like to admit would find ourselves in a very similar place as Peter finds himself in this conversation. This idea that, oh, I believe that I understand what Jesus means when he says we just continue to live a life of forgiveness. And yet circumstances come up or situations arise and we begin to realize more, oh, there's more to this. Like it's still unlimited forgiveness, but wait, there's more. And so just, I, I think that's what came to my mind is, you know, Peter was in this moment, Jesus took the time to say, all right, you understand a little bit. Let me continue to, to stretch what you're understanding here. I think oftentimes, even with forgiveness, I find myself in that place where it's like, I know I'm supposed to live a life of forgiveness, and yet as situations come, I continue to understand more and more what it means to live a life of forgiveness. I, I kind of imagine it like when we talked about when Peter was on the water and, and Jesus having that like you know gracious attitude mm -hmm. toward him. I, I feel like now he's got to have a little hope, like they're finally starting to get it, but like, let me expound a little more on what I mean, but I have to imagine like Jesus is feeling pretty hopeful compared mm -hmm. to where they've just come from, like not too far before this, there has to be this hope that like they're getting it. Let me, let me help you understand a little more, but like the kingdom is starting to like penetrate their hearts and, and their lifestyle. Because as you said, like 
he's he's like Peter has has increased. He's understanding like there's more to it. So there is like a glimpse of what's going on. So I imagine Jesus has to be pretty hopeful. Like if we were teaching our kids something and they're starting to get it, we're not going to I don't I don't I can't imagine this is like a chastising conversation because you know, I'd be excited if they were getting part of it. Mm-hmm. And so now it's like putting your hand around Peter and like, okay, you you've got it. Now let's let's like as you said, let's like going. let's well, let's turn the kingdom upside down. Like you're you're getting it, but like we gotta like we're like a quarter of a turning it upside down. Like let's go the rest of the way. So I think one of the other things that I was struck by as as we read this passage is uh, the I guess the extreme forgiveness that the king displays towards his servant. Mm-hmm. And we we recognize that this week we participate in Ash Wednesday. And this is a a call to kind of remember and contemplate Jesus's journey to the cross and and the victory that we find, the freedom we find in that. And so obviously as Jesus is sharing this parable, he's still walking with the disciples. This is prior to his crucifixion. So another you have here another kind of foreshadow of the kind of forgiveness that he is about to extend mm. to the world. And I think... Derek, would you mind sharing what you looked up as far as the the sheer volume? Sheer volume? Yeah, because I feel like that's it's so powerful to understand the the magnitude of the debt that Jesus has forgiven and extended to us. It's overwhelming. So the man owed ten thousand talents. Um, I, I found that if a servant worked three hundred and sixty five days per per year. He would need 150,000 years to earn enough money to pay that debt. That that debt is the, um, it estimates its value range from 6,000 to 10,000 denarii. And a talent is the highest denomination that they had in that currency. So um, a denarius was a day's wage and his debt was 10,000 talents was the equivalent to uh, between sixty million and one hundred million days wages. So, like, it's uh, insurmountable. Uh, um, you can't never going to pay. You back. can't work one hundred and fifty thousand years. I, I don't think. I I mean, I can't. And I mean, and so this is, I think, the part of this that's so moving. Like this illustration is so moving because here Christ is on his journey towards the cross, and he's about to to pay a debt that none of us can ever pay. We cannot do it. And so then it brings us to this place of, okay, so I'm going to do it. Now you forgive. And it almost, when you think in, in terms of this large picture perspective, I think it almost makes you feel silly for hanging on to unforgiveness. Right. Like how could I not forgive? Right. When I've been forgiven so great a debt, but we, like the servant, we go about our business and we forget what he's done for us and we forget the magnitude of what he's done for us. And so I, I appreciate this kind of callback to just how big of a deal it is that Jesus went to the cross and he, he paid the price. Um, he paid our debt. But I think as we're talking about this idea of, forgiveness and like the expectation that 
you know, we do the same, the, the expectation that the servant does the same. Uh, as I was just sitting here looking at my Bible because I would have to turn the page to see the majority of the story. I haven't turned the page. Um, and so I actually see all of last week's passage and I'm sitting here and I was looking at it and for some reason, verse 18 from last week sticks out to me. It says, truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then I'm thinking about this conversation on forgiveness and the expectation of forget the life that we are to live of a life of forgiveness. I, I can't help but see just how much these two things go together. And we talked last week about how, you know, God has put trust in what we are doing. And now with this conversation in mind, I think it makes more sense. I can understand why God would put trust in what we are doing because we are to be doing what he has done. Like we are called to be about his business. And so what we do on earth, what we bind, what we loose can be bound and loosed because we are behaving as our king behaves. And so trust is there because we live in accordance with that trust. And in the end, Jesus has already died on the cross for everybody. And so the person that I am, if I am harboring unforgiveness in my heart, the person that I am harboring unforgiveness against has already been forgiven. Hmm. And so in my unforgiveness, I am actually making a decision to walk in conflict with the work that God has already done. You've become an enemy of the kingdom. Yeah. I feel like that is a really strong and difficult thing to see in the mirror. <laughs> Especially when you're feeling that you've been so hurt or you've been so wronged. And so this difficulty of releasing that. And it's it's a really when you come face to face with that reality, it's a really hard truth, I think, to to grab hold of and to, to own. Mm -hmm. All I could think of when you, you mentioned that is, is the unforgiveness because of what you said that, that Jesus has already forgiven that, that, that hurt or whatever you may experience. The only one that's being affected is you. It's, it's, you know, the other person, it's, it's not really, it, it can affect them um, in your relationship with them, your interactions with them, but the only person you're really affecting is you. And that's a, that can be a very tough pill to swallow mm. that um, our inability to like give it to God, it's almost like that, like laying it down and picking it up and laying it down and picking it up and laying it down. Like our inability to just lay it down and let God have it only affects us um, because God could, like, in that person's life, God could be doing whatever he was doing before. There could have been reconciliation between that individual and God, and, and all we're doing is, is 
hurting ourselves. Like I th- exactly. I think we talked a little bit about this last week, this idea of of the freedom that forgiveness brings. And right. so when we when we lay it down and leave it down, then we get to walk in the freedom of forgiveness, both knowing that we're forgiven and not having that that weight of of resentment or feeling like we have to be on guard or feeling like we have to somehow handle this other this other situation that in a lot of instances is probably outside of our control. I think when they're dealing when, when because this follows this church conversation obviously with Christians you can kind of have a different conversation but if it's somebody in the world, then you're having a totally different conversation and you can expect you may be forgiven them seven times, 77, you know, or more or more. But you also in that when it's someone who's in the world who, who doesn't like yet know Christ, um, we're, we're, we're trying to shackle something to them that they don't like, we can't hold them to the same standard. We've already talked about this, like somebody who's not in the church, you're you're not giving them that space so to speak to to speak into your life as far as like uh holding you accountable and things of that nature so you're shackling something to them that they they don't they're not even aware of and and in doing that you're you're not really hurting them in the same way that you're hurting yourself because 9 times out of 10 if not more they don't even really understand what's going on because they haven't they don't have that relationship with with God to understand what's going on. So you're just shackling something to them and you're the one that's enduring what the, the servant had to endure because he wasn't willing to forgive someone else. Um, even though he had been forgiven a multitude, he wanted to hang on to his little bit and, and it cost him dearly. And we do the same thing. We, we want to, we want to be forgiven much and then hang on to that Whatever it is that we don't want to forgive someone for, what was the equi- what was the uh, equivalent that he was owed? Uh, uh, I don't know, a uh, hundred silver coins. So we've been forgiven this multitude, and we want to hang on to this little bit. You know, he had what ten? I don't know what was it, ten million talents or whatever. And my, so, my Bible said a thousand. Yeah, so a, a millions versus. A few thousand. Yeah. So we're letting something so, like, minor. By comparison, yeah. yeah. I mean, still big, right? Thousands of dollars, that's, you know, that's a that's but, a big deal. But, but when you consider yeah. what you deserved, like, the mm-hmm. punishment that you deserved for this massive amount that you owed, and it was just wiped away, and it's it's so easy to want to cling to that few thousand because, well, that's mine. And so... Um, that's, it makes it tough, uh, to, I mean, Jesus is just, I I feel like this whole chapter is just what Jesus is expecting from the church. The, it's a a call to, if you want to be the greatest, you got to serve, um, in that serving, like don't cause anyone to stumble. Like he is like painting this roadmap of what the expectation is for the, the church, like, be the wandering sheep and those who aren't a part of the body to be out in search of them and how we deal with sin in the church. And it's just a call of what the church needs to look like. And I feel like he wraps it up greatly. Like the church needs to be 
like engulfed in forgiveness. We need to be able to forgive because we've been forgiven much. If we want the world to like follow, if we want the wandering sheep to come back in, we're going to have to be a people that, that are willing to forgive because a lot of times when sheep go off and wander, there's hurt involved. And, and so we have to be willing to, to give that to Jesus and still go out in pursuit because otherwise we're just, we're kind of like walking in a cervical. We're no different than the children of Israel when we can't forgive. Like we're, we're just wandering in the desert trying to make it to the promised land. And I think when you just drew that out about like, this is, it seems like this is just a, a continued conversation that Jesus is having about what it means to be a part of the, a, a part of the body of the church. I almost said the body of Christ because that's what's like going in my mind right now is like Jesus really is setting the stage for like, I'm going to be gone, but the church is coming and the church is my continued presence in the world today. And so church, if you are going to be my continued presence in the world today, this is what you have to look like because this is what I look like. And if this isn't going to be who you are, then you're not. Like you are not my reflection, but I have called you to be my reflection. I have empowered you to be my presence. And so because I have, this is how you look. You pursue the lost sheep. You make sure you watch what you do because you don't cause the little one to stumble. You recognize that you live a life of humility where everybody else matters more than your own opinion, and you live a life of forgiveness. Because I lived a life of forgiveness that cost me my life. And it may cost you yours, but that's the sacrifice that you are called to as a reflection of who I am. I think um, verse 35, I, I think that uh, that's at least one thing for me I'd, I'd love to touch on. It says, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister. And it would be easy to end the verse right there. But I can say with my words that I forgive you. But Jesus is calling them to more than just words. It's the whole like picking it down and putting it up and picking it down and or putting it down and picking it up. Jeez Louise. <laughs> <laughs> it must be too late or something. It, the, the putting it down and picking it up. And so he ends with from your heart. Mm-hmm. It would be easy to just stop without those last three words to forgive your brother and sister. It's easy to say words. It's a whole different thing to not just say the words, but to truly mean the words. Because I am, I mean, I think we could all say we've been guilty of saying with our mouth that we can forgive someone. But then something happens, maybe between us and that individual, and then we remember what happened again. Like, this happens in marriage. I, I can speak from own, my own experience. If something happens and I don't like where it's headed, I may be guilty of reminding <laughs> Brittany of what has happened in the past. But when Jesus forgives, it's buried in the sea of forgetfulness. 
as as far as the east is from the west. Like that, when he forgives, it's gone. Why is it, Jesus, that I struggle with the forgiveness part? Like I say, for, I for, I can forgive somebody, but I can't place it in the sea of forgetfulness. Like I struggle with that. I recognize that forgiveness has to be more than words, and maybe that's maybe that's something that that others in the church struggle with. I'm sure. I feel pretty confident that if I struggle with it, and I'm human that others in the church struggle with the same thing. We say we forgive with our mouth, but either our actions or a next experience, a next circumstance truly reveals that I haven't forgiven. And so I, I think that we can't leave those last three words out. I think that they carry a significant importance to this passage. It's one thing to say, I forgive you. It's a whole nother thing to, to never remember that again. And obviously, Jesus, I recognize I cannot do that on my own. I can't mm-hmm. forget something on my own. That's, that's that whole living bird is on. I can't. Sometimes I make it very hard for myself to forget what's happened before and the wrongs that we feel like we've, you know, we've been wronged. It's when we have that next circumstance, or maybe it's a circumstance that's similar with someone else, but it brings... Which, yeah, it brings back like what happened, and so like that would be my one thing that I would I would leave with. Like it has to be from the heart. Otherwise, you're not really forgiving. You're just saying words. I think this conversation practically was addressed at our table a little bit um, with uh, an observation that in the presence of the king this servant was behaving in a, was humble in a, in a sense. Um, it says that da, 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 after it, in response to the master saying that he's going to, you know, um, sell his wife and children and all that he had to repay the debt, the servant fell on his knees before him and said, be patient with me. I will pay back everything there. There was no inkling in this man's mind of, I'm going to ask him to forgive everything. It was, I do owe him my life. And so, please be patient. My life is yours. There is this act of humility that occurs. And in the presence of the king, he is living humbly. But then when he leaves the presence of the king, Mm. he begins to live according to his flesh. And he comes into a situation, the exact same situation, just on the other side. And instead of behaving out of humility, he responds in his flesh to take back what he is owed. And so when we bring that into this conversation that you were having, you know, about like, how can we do this? And this living vertizontal conversation, like, we do this by never leaving the presence right. of the king. Right. And I know that, you know, Jesus is everywhere and Jesus is with us, but the reality is we do a very good job at not noticing where Jesus is every moment of the day. And I can tell you from my experience in my own life, 
when I start looking like the unmerciful side of the unmerciful servant, not the humble side of the unmerciful servant, when I, when I look like the unmerciful side, it's because I am not intentionally aware of where Jesus is in the moment. I'm focused on myself. I'm acting out of the flesh, not out of the spirit. And so I think that conversation at the table was, was very helpful in this, I, this practical application and implementation into our lives of what this looks like to live a life of forgiveness. Man, I mean, you even see what, what comes from, from that living outside of the presence because as, as he goes out and he you know, finds this one that owes him, uh, what was it, a uh, hundred silver coins, when he's unmerciful and he's outside of the presence, and then the master finds out he's given what he would have received initially. Hmm. And so leaving the presence brought about the destruction that the master was trying to prevent, that was will- the master was willing to prevent hmm. um, because he chose to walk away and live according to his desire and not living in that, that presence of... Or, or living in what he experienced in that presence, which we would equate to living in the presence that brought the humility. Mm-hmm. So when I think about, you know, being in the presence of, of the king, you know, the, the servant, he goes out and he, um, when he's not in the presence of the king, he is in the presence of other people and other people are seeing this unforgiveness and I have to think that that word probably got out. You know, if they're, if when they found out, you know, in verse 31, when they saw this, they went to the king, word probably got out that he was forgiven because he was forgiven for, you know, substantial amount. Um, and just what, what were their thoughts? You know, when I think about like times that I have, I've just messed up and the people, not necessarily that were directly involved, but the people around that witnessed that that unforgiveness that I had and that we we could be responsible for them as well. I think it goes back to the I think something you said, Derek, earlier about this extension of grace. Maybe it was you, Nick. I don't know. Maybe you guys were both talking about it. But I think it goes back to this extension of grace whereby we're kind of this conduit of God's grace to others. And if we stop that, people see. So they, they see and they are, those that know are outraged. And those that don't know are lost, negatively affected, don't see Jesus, which you mentioned, Nick, earlier that this is what the church is to be. This is, if we're going to assume Jesus's role on earth in his absence, like his physical body absence, then we're going to have to be a conduit of this grace. And, and people will be watching. They will be looking and they will be seeing what is Jesus like? And we as the church are what Jesus is like, right? Always. And if we're not, that's the Jesus we show the world. And so that's the Jesus they know, and that's the Jesus they're acquainted with. 
And so, Brittany, like you said, I feel like people are watching. And it's a big responsibility. But Jesus must have believed they could do it. Because as we talked about at the beginning with Peter, he began to understand. And Jesus was like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this and I'm going to grow it a little bit more. I'm going to grow it a little bit more and I'm going to grow it a little bit more. And it's, it's as if Peter is living out this journey that we are walking on with the spirit every day where he's, we, we get a little bit and then he helps us grow that we get a little bit more and then he helps us grow that experience by experience, moment by moment, as we interact with, with the rest of the world. Something Brittany that you said really got my attention and, Natasha, I think you did hit on it as well, but you made the statement, word got out. And I don't know that there are many people in the world anymore, at least people that I have contact with. I know there are unreached people groups, but I don't know that there are many people who don't know at least the messaging of the gospel that Jesus died to take away our sins, that, that we have been forgiven. Word has gotten out. But I fear that the world, that the onlookers, the ones that are around, have far too often seen the unmerciful servant following the word getting out. And I mean, I've been doing a lot of work in this area and Barna has, has done a lot of studies in evaluating what's going on. And, and there are philosophers, modern day philosophers who are trying to work through what it is that the, the church is working to navigate through right now. I mean, in the last 20 years, there has been a very large fall off that is, was exaggerated just in the last 10 years of people actively engaged in the church. And I think without giving any specific statistics, if you are attending a church, you have probably seen it, at least in some way or another. And one of the main reasons that that is attributed to this is this inconsistency that exists in the church. The word has gotten out and the body of Christ doesn't reflect the word that has been proclaimed. And so the people on the outside look and say, either that's not real, <laughs> either Jesus isn't real altogether or Jesus's power isn't real and so I want nothing to do with that. Or Jesus' forgiveness is empty because their forgiveness is empty. And so why does it matter if I have his forgiveness? And so, I mean, maybe we started this podcast by talking about the hope that exists, right? That, that we're getting it. But I can't help but after the statement you made, Brittany, feel the weight associated with this when I look at the state of the church today, when I look at the state of 
what is supposed to be the body of Christ in the world. It's a big burden that we have. And so there is hope that's on the horizon. Like we're, we're 10 chapters away from Jesus' statement that he will be with us always. And, and so we can recognize that as his body, when we live in submission and surrender to his guidance and direction in our lives, recognizing his presence as we journey through life, he can guide us, he will guide us, and so we can live this life of forgiveness. I guess when I'm saying that, though, this hope, in my mind, reveals a reality that perhaps we have been trying to live in our own flesh for far too long. And it's time for us as the church to humble ourselves and say, Jesus, we have missed it. We are sorry for how we have worn your name and your flesh and misrepresented who you are. Forgive us, Lord, from the depths of our heart. We ask that you would forgive us for that and help us to become more aware of you. Help us to keep our focus on you so that way we could see what you are doing and hear what you are saying and live as you are living. Because only when we do that are we going to be able to live this life of forgiveness. Only when we live in the the moment-by-moment reality that Jesus is with us and intentionally follow him, are we going to be able to live a life that is consistent with that which he has called us to? And that is when the world around us, those onlookers, will be able to see that word that has gotten out start to come into alignment with the life that we live. And that is when Jesus will be able to change the world. And so Jesus, help us. Help us keep our focus on you so that way we can better reflect you and better represent you. Be sure to follow the Living Vertizano podcast to stay current on all our new releases. To learn more about The Church at Riverstone, visit us at thechurchatriverstone.org.